everybody, you are listening to Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. I'm your host and resident dumb guy, Christian Serge, and this is your co-host, author, pastor, reverend? Are you a reverend? The same thing as being a pastor, but yes. I, I kind of like reverend a little bit better. So, author, pastor, reverend, soon to be Dr. Johnny Morrison, the smart guy. That's right. And each week, and now for the next 23 minutes, Christian and I are going to have a conversation about culture, current events, politics, maybe something else, whatever we want, Mm -hmm. from all sides of the intellectual spectrum. Smart and dumb, different experiences. That's what we're going to do. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks. You know, I I wanted to clear up a couple of misconceptions or just maybe maybe not misconceptions. People understood it well in episode one. I had several people ask me, Christian, when you say like, um, when you said that your dad, you know, called that Brazil nut mm-hmm. a toe, uh, boy, you, you your dad must be a racist. And I just want to clear up, my dad was one of the least racist people I know. But what I wanted to point out was the systemic racism, the language that he was taught, that he tried not to pass on. Um, that is really what I was trying to explain there. He, yeah. uh, I mean, he studied the University of Chicago uh, and got his undergrad, and then he went to dental school in Baltimore, Maryland in 1968 as Dr. Martin Luther King. They, they like moved there like right before he was killed. And so they experienced all the riots and hmm. all that stuff. So I just want to make sure people know that because he was a good guy. Yeah, and I think that's important to say. Like, there is, there's the yeah. What you name is the systemic realities, and it normalizes something in culture, and it's kind of like the water that we breathe, and so we don't notice that it's problematic, that it's dangerous, that it's hurtful until it gets revealed to be yeah. that way. Which I feel like is what yeah. you were highlighting—that it was normal culture. Yeah, like I, I was talking to my mom today about it as well, and she was like, "Yeah, it was interesting that you pointed that out." I said, "Well." Um, what about you? She goes, Oh, when I was a kid, they always asked me to play the Indian or the Hawaiian princess or the slave or mm. like they, they asked me that. She goes, so I grew up with that. And they even asked me to play the Indian. And, and she's like, I didn't even realize that that was a, a, a racial racist term for a long time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just like, it was the things that we were taught. That was, what I was trying to point out. So. Yeah, totally. That totally makes sense. And the second thing, when I say the show name, Smart guy, dumb guy. Do I sound like I'm saying smart guy, dumb gay? Uh, I don't. I I am baffled and perplexed <laughs> by that question altogether. I, maybe I just know the name of the show. So it sounds like smart guy, dumb guy to me. I, I hope that people don't hear it as that because that is also it would be deeply offensive Yes. If that's what we were saying. Uh, there's, there is no part of me that would ever say that. I've had three people say, that's the name of the show. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's smart guy, dumb guy. So I hope I don't sound like that. Yeah, that's not what we're trying to say. And I understand that, Christian. People accuse me of talking too fast. Hmm. And when I say people, I mean mainly Christian accuses me of talking <laughs> too fast. Oh, it's just I can't understand what you're saying. I have to take a time to process. Yeah, I so I but I have I have made I have made similar blunders from the stage where I'm saying something too fast and people are like, "What did you just say? Mm-hmm. Did you just did you just drop an f bomb in church?" And I was like, "I definitely did not." <laughs> but you I understand have. how it could have sounded like that. 
you might have. You're one of my favorite reverends. I'm going to stick with that reverend. First thing we're going to talk about, I don't even know what the question is here, um, was this article that you sent me earlier today. Yes. So I love this story. I think it's beautiful. And I think it opens up conversation for lots of other things. But with all of the violent protests that have been happening in Portland and with the terrifying, violent demonstration of federal overreach by sending federal troops into Portland, Hmm. this a couple days ago, um, a, a bunch of moms in Portland gathered at the protest site. They linked up and they formed what's now referred to as the wall of moms. And they began <laughs> to shout, moms are here, feds beware. And they did that to defend the protesters behind them from the violent, heavily armed federal troops who have been marching through Portland, who have been inhabiting Portland as like an invading force. And I think that story is just like, I, I literally, I, I am not an emotional person, but when I first read it, I was, I was genuinely on the point of tears. I thought that was such a beautiful thing to see. Yeah. Before the wall of moms, I was being uh, kind of horrified mm-hmm. by videos of guys just in, in desert print camo mm-hmm. in a minivan detaining somebody who went peacefully with them and got inside of a van. I mean, I trained once as a firefighter for three weeks and I went and got myself, they gave me some Nomex, some firefighting clothes. I looked literally like Cal Fire. And we were driving in an unmarked minivan. I had a white helmet on, which is apparently the the color of the captain. Mm -hmm. And I would go through barrier after police barrier, after fire barrier. I literally had free reign because I looked the part. Yeah. Like, who are these people? First off, before the moms showed up, who mm-hmm. are these people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's an interesting statement. Like, what you're, like your story just kind of reminded me of is, like, there is something so visceral and so terrifying and so problematic about the dress, the, 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 the militarization of the federal force that's in Portland. And the mm-hmm. message that it communicates, which is like yours, what you're just telling, communicates this like story of power. Like I'm in charge, mm-hmm. I'm respected, I'm authoritarian. Mm-hmm. It's you should respect me. In this instance, it's the same kind of communication, but it's we are here to occupy our own city and to treat citizens of the United States of America like terrorists. Mm-hmm. Like that's didn't, the message that it communicates. Didn't they fire on the moms like that with a fence something something about the fence was coming down and they they ended up firing rubber bullets yeah, they fired and tear, tear gas. gas and i i don't know about the rubber bullets for sure but they fired tear gas for sure on moms i think that's the thing that makes this story so powerful is like it's it is so it is such bullshit to see federal troops firing tear gas and rubber bullets at unarmed protesters no matter how violent the protesters are for military trained federal officers to fire weapons on them is, is crazy. No matter how violent they are. Yeah. If they're unarmed, like there's a power differential that's so substantive, you know, Mm. like they don't have weapons. They don't like, but like for them to fire on moms, it reveals how shallow and how, um, I was the word I want to use almost like it reveals just how like empty and violent that gesture is. There's something like really revealing about it. Like when, I don't want to say in the same measure, but when Martin Luther King Jr. 
And this story actually reminds me of John Lewis, who just passed away. But when John Lewis, Martin Luther King Jr., when their when their movement walk, walks across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and it's televised these peaceful protesters being beat by federal troops, by police officers, it reveals to the world how empty the cause of white supremacy is. And I feel like in the same kind of way, firing tear gas on moms reveals how empty the authoritarian movement is. You know, it's really scary. That's, that's a very scary thought. We've got federalized police firing on unarmed, not just people, but moms mm-hmm. who are there. They, they might as well have just been carry, carrying a, a flower, right? Yeah. They linked arms. And the show of force, what are the federal agents being told? And there's got to be, I mean, there's got to be an agent or two or all of them questioning, what the hell am I doing? Why am I doing this? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. That's it. Yeah. That makes me think of a couple of things. Um, I do think that's probably happening. Like I've, I've known, this is like an anecdotal story, but I have now known of a few police officers, even in Utah, to quit the force in light of having to be at protests because they just can't handle like that. It feels so incongruous with their own morals that they've had to quit. Um, but it also is like, I think it proves sort of the point of how dangerous this kind of gets the conspiracy conversation we're having last week, how dangerous, um, ideology is in that you don't have to be a malicious or evil person to get caught up and be used by a machine of coercive violence. Mm, Wow. I I think that deserves to be said again. Sometimes when you talk, (laughs) like this is one of those examples. You say something so profound, a lot of times I'll rewind a sermon or I'll rewind your other podcast or I'll go back and reread it. You do not have to be an evil or malicious person to be used by a machine of coercive violence. Hmm. Timothy Snyder in On Tyranny says something about this. He says, if you carry a weapon in public service, God bless you and keep you, but know that the evils of the past involved policemen and soldiers finding themselves one day doing irregular things. Yeah, interesting. That's a great quote. Yeah, it's a book about uh, fascism or, or government control. And when we when we submit to those, when we don't, like when a DHS soldier looks at this and doesn't question, oh, you're like, why am I doing this? I'm finding myself, they probably are finding themselves doing irregular things. We lose our freedoms. We, mm-hmm. we all lose freedom. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. We all lose our freedom. And this might be... I don't think this will be controversial, but I do think it's a harder truth, which is that um, the police officers who are used as tools in a violent machine are victims also of that violent machine. Hmm. Now, not in the same way, like they're not in the same way as the moms who are tear gassed or the protesters who are tear gassed, but their humanity is downgraded. They are demonized in their own machine. They're forced to do something that violates their humanity and they become less also, right? Both, both people become less. It doesn't make me feel, a lot of times when I see a situation like this, I go, okay, I know what side I want to be on, or I know mm-hmm. what side I'm on. But then I have to ask the question, what are they doing? What is this group of people in Portland? What, is, what are the moms supporting in order for the government to think that they're a threat? And a threat to what? Mm. Is it a power grab? Or... 
is it, do they really think, hey, they're destroying our city? Mm-hmm. And maybe they are. Because like, you know, when I asked you, hey, if, if no matter what the violence, you don't think that um, there should be force used back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get, we can get into that in a second. That's my personal okay. philosophy. And I oh, get that it's, okay. I get that it's, contra- I get that not everybody agrees with me. But the thing that you just said, I think is interesting. Um, there's a, there's a philosopher I really like named Jacques Ellul. Um, is he French? I, yes, I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. I'm okay. sorry. You know, I'm taking it. I'm taking it. I'm going to receive it and <laughs> go with it. But he is this, his, his big work is on government. It's on, um, he's a Christian anarchist. So that's kind of where his thinking is. But he is, this, mm. I was just reading this section where he was talking about police power and he's writing in the sixties in France. So it's a different era, but I felt like I was reading something that was true of this moment. And he was talking about when police states, which the United States is a police state, when Mm -hmm. police states enact this kind of violence, it is actually a breakdown of the mechanisms of control and power that we've lived with for a long time that hummed perfectly because we didn't, the most of us who are in like normal power, so it's white men specifically, we don't notice it being exerted because it's operating kind of quietly. But as, as soon as it gets challenged and starts to break down, it has to it has to try to re- reinforce itself and take control through coercion and violence. That's actually a breakdown of the system. I don't think I followed you. You got to boil it down for me. No, that's fair. Totally fair. Um, if a police state is intended to control people, right? And you can justify that like we talked about last time. It's trying to protect people, quote unquote. Right, right. It's going to do that in its most powerful way, the way it's going to do that is secretly, right? It's going to use um, surveillance technology. Like Amazon just um, stopped allowing city officials to use its face recognition software because it was police forces were using face recognition software to identify criminals without due process, without warrants, all that kind of stuff, right? That's how it's going to operate at its like peak. Okay. But as soon as that gets challenged and it begins to break down, which is what's happening with all the protests, they're challenging the use of that power. It has to, the only, the only tool it has left is to exert more power. Yep. Ah. And I actually think, I actually think as scary as the protest, the violence in Portland is with the federal troops, I actually think there's something really positive about it that the protests have forced a breaking point in the police system. Right. We're oh, talking yeah. about defunding the police system. We're talking about demilitarizing police structures. We're oh, talking yeah. about totally changing the game, which means something is breaking and being revealed. And so it's exerting itself in order to maintain control. This is not a new thing. And I, I, I agree with you. Um, there's a there's a part that's really scary about this, really sad. But it's also like this is bringing light to... Mm-hmm. It's like Star Wars, it's like the rebellion, bringing yeah. light to the rebellion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I actually had a friend of mine who, uh, her mom came from Argentina and she's like, this is, this is what my mom, what's happening in the United States, what's happening in Portland is what my mom fled Argentina for. Now she's mm-hmm. seeing it here and she's like, this is the starting of a rebellion. Hmm. Hmm. Should protesters respond with violence? That's a big subject. It is a big subject. Well, you're good at this because I, I, I have a feeling that you may have written a book about this or something about this cycle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can say anything about it, but it is so good. When this book comes out, everybody has to get this book. But the idea that there's dissonance in your life 
mm-hmm. somewhere. And if it's not taken care of, if there's not harmony, it's just like in music, right? Mm-hmm. If, if I just sit there and play a minor diminished chord for 10 minutes, everybody's going, oh, resolve it, make it feel better. That they just, that you, that people want to come up and, and grab my arm and break it, right? Like they, mm-hmm. they want to do something. Catharsis, I think is the word mm-hmm. for that. I'm, I'm learning. Yeah. So, so is violence justified? That's a big question. I would say no. I don't think, I think what you just said is right. Violence to me, this is the argument that I would make, it produces catharsis, which is, mm-hmm. um, it, it numbs the problem, but it does not solve it. I have, I have struggled with anger in my life. I'm a, I'm, if you know the Enneagram, I'm an eight and I think things should be the way they are because they are the way they are. And, um, you know, I've, I've had my moments where I've lashed out or I've hurt someone. And while it may have drawn attention to it, it's always the wrong kind of attention mm-hmm. and it always has hurt me and hurt the people around me. Yeah. I think that's true. I think that catharsis, like a violence may, may draw attention. It may make me feel better. Um, it may pacify something, but the problem is, is that at the core of violent action is a, is a trauma, is a wound, is something unhealthy and violence cannot heal. Like that's, it's by its very nature, violence cannot heal something. And so unless there is a healing force that goes at work at the root problems, Violence won't solve it. It may hold it at bay for a time, but eventually the w- the walls will crack and whatever violence is holding at bay will come rushing in more pressurized than ever before. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. Final words. Portland, moms, protest, is violence justified? Well, I think, I think, no, violence is not justified. And what we see in the wall of moms is what we saw in the life of John Lewis. And it is a refusal to enact violence on the other because you refuse to give up on the humanity of the other, which always leaves room for healing. And in the spaciousness of absorbing other people's violence into yourself, so, and not enacting it back on them, it disrupts the violent cycles and I think actually creates space for healing. And I think that's what the Wall of Moms does. I think that's what John Lewis' life did. And I mean, I'm a reverend, so I think it's what <laughs> Jesus did. It's so hard to see past the ends of our noses. It's so hard. People have so many opinions. Oh, I would do this or I would do that or I wouldn't do this, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's also another problem, obviously, with, with the world is that we've we put people as either us or the other. Mm-hmm. And we cannot, we have not yet been able to, uh, I don't know, just all get along. I, you know, it's probably something from the <laughs> yeah. 80s, right? We yeah. just can't all get along. I wish the moms uh, well in Portland. And I love my mom. I love many moms. And I hope that the DHS agents... Mutant to cause a mutiny. I hope they yeah. stop. I hope they question. I hope they yeah. find themselves doing irregular things and and stop. Put their guns down. Yep. Put their guns down. When I read that, I thought, hey, 
what about Antifa? Had a guy's like, oh, Antifa, they're so scary and they're doing this and they're this terrorist group. And so I went and I looked up some things. You know, I, I saw that Trump said that uh, uh, Antifa was a, uh, let's see, what do you say here? The United States of America will be designated Antifa as a terrorist organization. So I thought, well, what is Antifa and can I join if I wanted to? Can I contact them? <laughs> <laughs> and the crazy thing is, is Antifa is a term, it's just a shortened term for anti fascist uh-huh. and it's it's not a place i can contact i can't join um, i can just be anti-fascist and so i was like well um i think that i like i've heard a lot about fascism i've learned i've heard a lot about uh this one guy called adolf hitler who was a fascist dictator i've learned about this guy named uh, bertoli uh, bertoni mussolini who was also a fascist leader of italy there's probably I don't know, 20 examples over the last year of democracies failing and either going into communism or fascism. uh, And we tend to turn a blind eye. So the primacy of the group is that supporting the group feels more important than maintaining either individual or universal rights. Hmm. Believing that one's group is a victim, this justifies any behavior against the group's enemies. The belief that individualism and liberalism enable dangerous decadence and has a negative effect on the group. And that there's a strong sense of nationalism. There's an extreme support of a natural leader who's always male. The result in one man taking on the role of the national savior. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're seeing a pattern here. Um, I, I, I don't know if you're seeing a pattern in the current uh, administration or if you're seeing a pattern like, hey, yeah, I don't really agree with those values. I don't agree with that. So, I don't know. Maybe I should join, quote, join Antifa. <laughs> well, that's a big question. Um, so, this is maybe a statement from ignorance. So, correct me if, uh, if I'm wrong. Uh, if Antifa shows up at protests... Um, they're not, they're not a organized community. They're a disorganized leaderless organization, but they show up at protests and often with the intention of, um, intimidating, like anti dangerous, anti-protest movements, right? Like (laughs) white supremacists who show up with guns or whatever. And, and it tends to be, or this is the question, does Antifa justify use of force to protest? Hmm. Is that necessary to be a part of Antifa? Well, we know where you stand. Yeah, <laughs> yes, you do. I don't think it does. There's a there's an image of so-called Antifa people Antifa standing up against um, some white supremacists, you know, K- brandishing KKK and and Grandmaster and and the flag. You know, by the way, I used to live in Topeka, Kansas, right next to a KKK Grandmaster uh, house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it said Grandmaster Dragon over the top or something like that. And they would meet. And this was back in 1991. And it's scary, right? So here mm-hmm. you are. And I've, I've, done, I've done marches when uh, Trump wouldn't let people immigrate here and threatened to send mm-hmm. people home. And then we have the anti-protests. And it gets heated. People, people yelling and you feel threatened. Um, I don't think it justifies violence. At all, you you don't think the Antifa justifies violence? Um, the Antifa, the 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 group, the group of people that don't have a group. Mm-hmm. So I read the article that you sent me, and uh, here here is one of the lines 
that came out of this is Antifa activists focus on harassing right-wing extremists, both online and in real life. Their presence at protests is intended to intimidate and dissuade racists, but but the use of violent measures by Antifa against their adversaries can create a vicious self-defeating cycle of attacks, counterattacks and blame. I want to see the article that you sent me. Yeah. I want to see pictures of someone who holding up an Antifa flag Okay, because uh, to me that's a, that's a um, a person who is anti-fascist and probably um, is you know maybe he's more of a loudmouth and maybe they are harassing. But um, this article, right? It is the, it is the BBC, so um, I'm going to say that it's a little more uh, kind of straight on the path and less less affected by U.S. politics. Could be not. It's really hard to tell these days. You really have mm-hmm. to dig in there, but. Um, I would like to see that. I'd like to see a, a photograph or a picture or a video of somebody brandishing Antifa. And it's not just maybe a, an isolated group or an isolated guy doing something or trying to harass them or trying to provoke, uh, provoke them. Because on the basis of the core of, us, I, core of it, I would say I am anti-fascist. I am totally. an anti-fascist. Right? Totally. I'm an anti-communist. I'm an anti-fascist. I read about a list of the fascist leaders of the world and how quickly they gained supporters. Mm. And most of them in China and Venezuela, Argentina, Italy, and Germany, within just a couple of years, they had millions and millions of supporters based on this national pride. Let's make Italy great again, or let's make Mm -hmm. Germany the way it's supposed to be, or um, let's bring back Venezuelan culture. And so um, I see those signs here and I, it really does make me feel like, yeah, I, I am anti-fascist. I am anti-communism. I do. Yeah. I, I don't want that to happen. Yeah. The, the article you sent me is the longest one I had read on Antifa. So I don't feel like a, this is where I feel like a dumb guy. Like I don't know that hmm. much about uh, Antifa. I have read some things and I know, I know that doesn't getting Antifa terrorist organization feels ridiculous. Um, <laughs> that they don't wield violence in the way that the federal troops are or white supremacist groups are, uh, or like, or extremist Christian groups in the United States, all of which are significantly more violent, um, historically speaking than Antifa has ever been. So like, I don't, yeah. So I don't know that much about Antifa, but I agree with you there, but the statements you just said feel really important, which is like, you are totally right that there has been a rise of fascist leadership all over the world at the same time of Trump, a little bit before Trump, um, over the last like decade or so that we have witnessed as the resentment of populations, primarily male populations yes. has kind of exerted itself mm-hmm. in these different nations. The this funny thing is about Antifa is that they're, they, they talk about Antifa as if it's an organization or it's happening now. There have been Antifa movements, anti-fascist movements over over hundreds of years uh, in the mid 1920s we're talking about the the uh, Benito Mussolini he consolidated his power under the National Fascist Party right mm-hmm. there was an anti-fascist movement an antifa movement in Italy and you know they would march down the streets and they would say no no we want to be socialists and the fascists right took over um, World War II uh, white supremacy in the 70s and 80s, there was a big movement against skinheads, against mm. white supremacy in the United States. So, and then, so right now, there, there's a there's a book, um, 
It's by Mark Bray. He's the author of Antifa, the anti-fascist hmm. handbook. And I think that's what, in my, in my study, that's what they're naming this movement or these people after. Interesting. So can I, let me ask you a question. So you and I, we agree fascism bad. <laughs> yes. Um, what, what for you, this is a big question. So you can, you know, I, I get it. If you want to riff for a second, I don't want to answer it all the way or whatever, but like, what is the, you're not for fascism. What are you for? Mm, yeah. Uh, I used to say that I'm a conversationalist when people ask me if I was Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative. And I'm more mm. than that. I, I think that, um, whatever, whatever ideology that points to another group as the other or mm. someone else as the other person, I'm not for it. Mm -hmm. I'm for uh, uniting as one. I'm, I, when, I, I read the website Black Lives Matter. I read their ideals and I go, oh yeah, I do want uh, that. I, do, I don't want racism in this country. I do want uh, equal opportunity. I do want uh, us to treat people as human beings in a global community, not as us and them. Mm -hmm. So... That is hard. It's hard to state those things in positive, in positives rather than negatives. You've challenged me there. I, I, I like, what do you want? Because we're we're so just enthralled in right now and just neck deep in what we don't think everything is. Mm hmm. That is totally true. I feel a song coming on. <laughs> Love it. Love it. There's a song that reminds me. Uh, it's um, by the Clash. Mm hmm. London Calling. Great. Perfect. And I, I, you know, it's funny when I read about, I know, you know, London calling to the faraway towns, you know, like now war is declared and battle come down. It's, it's, I'm, I'm just slaughtering this, <laughs> but it's interesting. This is the 1970, late seventies, right? Early eighties. Now war is declared and battle come down. London calling to the underworld, come out of the cupboard, you boys and girls. London Calling, now don't look to us. Phony Beatlemania has bitten the dust. London Calling, see, we ain't got no swing except for the ring of the trunk chin thing. And then the chorus is the ice age is coming, the sun zooming in, meltdown expected, the wheat is growing thin, engines stop running, but I have no fear because London is drowning, I live by the river. Now, you may just go, what does that mean? Hmm. This song was often played in occupied countries after they occupied them. Um, I think it's a call um, that these problems aren't new and mm -hmm. that uh, we really need to do something big. And it needs to happen in ourselves, I think. It needs to happen here. Hmm. We need to stop thinking of the other as... DHS agents and is we, we need to look at those moms protesting and go, yeah, those are moms. Those are moms. Mm -hmm. That makes me think of, uh, two things. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. used to say that the purpose of the protesting, the purpose of the civil rights amendment, the purpose of the voting acts was the creation eventually of a beloved community. That there was a bigger, like that civil rights was a huge thing and mm. that was important and it was right and it was good. But for King, there was this vision even beyond that of a beloved community. And then that makes me think of, again, John Lewis, who 
I remember telling a story. This was like played in some of the um, tributes to him, but he was talking about him, his experience on the Edmund Pettus bridge being hit by police officers and saying that the only way that you can like maintain life in that space. And the only way that John Lewis could continue doing what he's doing is that as he was being hit, he would remember that the person who was beating him was still a human being, Hmm. which is such a challenging and like, Oh yeah. Crazy strong thing to be able to do. It's like so simple and yet so beautiful, but those two things are linked that there is this like shared humanity, this shared image in the two of us. And that has to be healed for there to be the creation of the beloved community. Well, you are the reverend. (laughs) Well, that ends our third episode of smart guy, dumb guy, with the wise words from our resident smart guy, Johnny Morris. And come back again next week and subscribe if you want to. Hey, reviews help us too. If you want to know more about uh, the almost Dr. Morrison, the almost Reverend Dr. Morrison, go to johnnyis.com. Or if you want to know about myself, you can find a little bit more about me at christiansearch.com. See you next time. See ya. You have been listening to a Smart Guy and a Dumb Guy production, a podcast exploring culture, current events, and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. See you next time.